0: Last, last lesson on, in the series on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I just believe that uh, it's needed. I've said at the very beginning, I believe God's church is to be a Spirit-filled church. The Cornerstone Church of, of Baton Rouge is to be a Spirit-filled church. It doesn't mean that every word out of our mouth is something about the Holy Ghost necessarily. It does, because the Holy Spirit is going to exalt Jesus Christ. He's going to glorify and lift up the Son of God. That's one of His ministries. He's got a lot of ministries to comfort us, to give us understanding of the Word of God, to give us boldness to live this Christian life in the midst of a world that doesn't know Him. It's hard to live for Jesus. And and everything that God has for us in order to live for the Lord, we want that. We want to receive that and avail ourselves to what God has for us. And one of the best things, the most wonderful thing He has for us, the most wonderful thing, For a believer is the the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the gifts of the Spirit that He desires to give us uh, as we walk with Him. And so there's a reason I believe that the Lord gave me this series on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's that we would be a Spirit-filled people. We wouldn't only understand it and have our doctrine straight and say, okay, check, you know, baptism of the Holy Spirit, we believe that's still for today. But that we would be that people. First, you got to be born again. Then, after you're born again, we pray for and receive by faith the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a gift that God gives. And then, after we're filled with the Spirit, I mean, baptized in the Holy Spirit, we can daily or you know more than once a day, if need be, be filled with the Spirit and then walk in the power of the Holy Ghost. He wants us to live that way. The Bible talks about joy in the Holy Ghost. And life in the Spirit, and life of the life in the Spirit of Christ, it's a wonderful way to live. It's a way that God's called us to live. Y'all, I, I, I was just reading, I just kind of skimmed through the paper. We get it every day, and on Saturdays they have a little uh, thing they talk about religious things. It's all over the place, the, the things they talk about in the paper. But there was a recent survey that increasingly more uh, our country is becoming unchristian. I don't think it surprises anybody, but they actually have statistics. They had interviewed over 100,000 people. That's a lot of people. And, and now it's down to about 25% of the country hold to being atheist. That's a lot of people. Atheist, agnostic, or none. They just don't have any religious bent or belief at all. And what's decreasing the fastest of all of the religious population is the evangelical Christians. And that's, it's, it's disheartening, but at the same time, I would guess you would say it's heartening or encouraging because the Bible says this is how it's going to be. It gives us more confidence to believe the Scriptures, to stand upon God's Word, and to never forget, y'all, you know, that the Lord Jesus Christ saved us today. He saved us in this age. And in this day and hour. And He calls us to live for Him and has called us to live for Him in this day and hour. He didn't call me to live in the, day, the days of the apostles. He didn't call me to live in the days of the Judges or Noah's day or something like that. Or, or even 100 years ago in D.L. Moody's day. He called me to live for the Lord in this day. And He called you to live for the Lord in this day. And He has equipped us. There's an equipping of the saints where He equips us with what we need for the hour. He'll never put you out there and say, okay, go on and get out there now and, 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 and then not equip you to do what He's called you to do. Greater is He that's in us than He that's in the world. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever be intimidated. Don't ever be scared. Don't ever be frustrated. Don't ever go curl up in a ball and hide in the corner. And that's what we're tempted to do. Just pick up the paper one day and read it. And all the, the social activism and the, and the homosexual agenda and this agenda and that agenda uh, of what's just being shoved down our throats and now it's being more accepted. And it's accepted everywhere. And we are very much in the minority. You know that. We're very much in the minority. Uh, but it's God says if He's with us, who can be against us? And He is with us. He lives in us. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. This world is not our home. We have to remember that. We have to remind ourselves this world is going the way that the world is going. But in the midst of it, there is a Lord and a Savior, and He has a church. And the church means the called out ones. That's actually what the definition of the church is. We're called out. Like our Sunday school lesson about being separated unto God. Don't blend in. This was nothing to do with my sermon this morning, but don't blend in with this world that's around us, and don't feel pressured to. The, the feelings may be there, but the reality is not. We do not have to blend in to what's going on around us. Our call is not to stay one head, one step ahead of the world morally. You know the world plunges morally, we just stay a little notch above. That's not our calling. Our calling is to be as he is, for as he is, so are we in this world. We have a calling of holiness upon our lives. And guess what? Praise God. Just like y'all said in Sunday school as well, we have the enabling to be holy by the working of Almighty God in our lives by His Spirit. This isn't pretend. It's not just things written on a piece of paper. This is the reality. If we're born again, God is with us. He is helping us. He is the potter. He is making us to be like His Son Jesus. We need to provoke one another to love and good works. Normally, we think of provocation or provoking is in a bad sense. Like a little brother just egging his older brother on until finally he turns around and pops in. We think of provocation as not being a good thing. That we, we, uh, But we need to provoke each other to love and good works. We really do. We need to spur each other on. We're studying the book of Hebrews on Wednesday night, and I can't wait. We're a little ways off still, but getting to chapters 11 and 12 about faith, and then see that we're compassed about by so great a cloud of witnesses. You know, to keep on running the race that's set before us. And one of the ra- ways that we're going to run this race, y'all, I don't think there's a lot much, a lot more time left. I'm not here to say that we're going to be raptured today, but the Bible tells me I'm to live as though I could be raptured today. <laughs> There is no other prophecy that has to be fulfilled before the church of Jesus Christ is raptured off of this earth. We're there. All the prophecies are fulfilled. We're just waiting for the Father to say to His Son, go get your church. And when He does that, He's going to call us away. But we're living in an expectation of that and we're living in a reality of that and God wants us to. And until the Lord calls us home, we need to live for the Lord and we need to be a Spirit-filled people. I don't think that anybody that's not that it's not baptized in the Holy Spirit is a lesser of a Christian or less loved by God or less saved or a second-class citizen or second-class Christian. We've talked about that. But it is a gift. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is a gift from God that He commanded His apostles in that 120 and His church started in Acts chapter 1. He commanded them not to leave depart from Jerusalem until they were endued with power from on high. Until they had received the promise of the Father. And He stated what that promise was, that baptism of the Holy Ghost, didn't fire. They obeyed. Praise the Lord, they did. And the 120 stayed gathered in the upper room, and they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and God began to grow His church through that people. Through that group of people. That little handful of people. And there's no difference today. There's not an ending to that. There, it'll end when we see the Lord. But if, as long as we're living on this planet, we need to be saved and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit. I want you to turn uh, in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We're, we're going to do finish up our study today on the gifts of the Spirit and how they're to be used in the church. The order and the way in which they're to be used. So I want you to look here and just some disorder... In the church, First Corinthians chapter eleven. When we do the the Lord's Supper, a lot of times you'll you'll hear some of these scriptures read. But verse twenty. Let's pick up verse twenty. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper, for in eating every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry and another is drunken. What have you not houses to eat and drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. I just wanted to read that one passage because it was obviously something in the church in Corinth that was out of order. And it's going to follow up. We don't have time to read it here, but he's given order on how to take the Lord's Supper. When you come, it's not a feast. It's not literally a supper that you come and here's some poor people and they don't they're in the church but they don't have any food and you didn't bring them any. You're gorging yourselves over here, and you got some poor people over here that have nothing, and you're just feasting and you're drinking. He goes, do that at home. Okay? Have your meals at home, have your feast at home. This is the Lord's Supper that we're talking about. It was an example of something in the church, in a real church with really saved people that was out of order. Okay, it was out of order. I'm just going to read this quickly from Acts chapter 2. I was mentioning it the day of Pentecost. If you want to turn there, you can. Verse 11. And this is all the people that are hearing this 120 newly saved, newly baptized, and the Holy Ghost believers speak the wonderful things of God in their languages. It's not in the, the speaker's language, it's in the hearer's language. He says in Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying what, one to another, what meaneth this? Others mocking, said these men are full of new wine. But Peter standing up with the eleven lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to My words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. It's 9 a.m. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, and Peter goes on to preach this wonderful sermon. I know we've mentioned it a lot of times in this series. The point of this is that when the gifts of the Spirit were at work, and in this this moment, this instance, the gift of tongues, and people heard them speaking in their languages, and there was confusion as to what it meant. But the confusion didn't last for long because God raised up His man Peter to stand up there and bring order to what was confusing. Oh, they're drunk. They're crazy. They're this. They're that. Some, it says they doubted what it meant. They were confused. They didn't understand. Well, God didn't want it to be confusing. And so He brought order to it. God doesn't want our church services, our lives in Christ to be confusing and to be full of chaos and confusion. How many of you know that the God of the Bible is a God of order? When you pick up your Bible and you just start reading it like a book, it says in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. Guess what? He's given order. He's showing how things came into being. How man came into being. How all this beautiful creation came into, be- into being. How sin came into being. In the evening and the morning were the first day. In the evening and the morning were the second day. It goes all through the days of creation. God is very much a God of order. He made the man, then he made the woman. We see this this order. He's not a God of chaos, okay? He's not a God of chaos. It's important that we understand that, but he's a God of order. He created order in his creation, and we see it in nature. And we have seasons, you know, summer and fall and spring, winter and spring, and so forth. And we see it in, in everything the <coughs> orbiting of the planets, you know, their orbits in the solar systems. We see order that God created. And thank the Lord that He is a God of order. But guess what? He also desires order among His people. In your individual life as a Christian, He wants it to be ordered by the Holy Spirit, not all over the place. In, in our church services, and this is what we're going to talk about today in our study, in our corporate, when we come together, well, it's a prayer meeting or a church service, or Sunday school, or a Bible study. He wants there to be order. doesn't mean there's not liberty, or freedom, or joy, or excitement. There's all of that, but it's still orderly. He lays out the order in His Word of how it's supposed to be. And I'm just going to read this Scripture. You don't have to turn there, but I'm just giving another example of order within the church. The, the Paul says in, in 1 Timothy 3, "...a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife." vigilant, sober of good behavior, given a hospitality, apt to teach, one that ruleth well his own house. What does he say in there? There's an order in the church. There's an order in the the people that are to serve in different positions within the house of God. It's not just a free-for-all. Okay, I know you know that, but it's not just a free-for-all. The Holy Spirit will produce that order. He'll bring the joy, the liberty, so excited that that you feel like you can touch Heaven. He'll bring all of that, but He's going to bring order. and He's going to bring it as we yield to Him. <clears throat> as individual believers, we need to yield to the, the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. These sound like no-brainers. They sound like obvious things in our lives. But even as a Christian, if I'm not careful, I could be led by something other than the Holy Spirit. It doesn't necessarily mean it's demonic or I'm going off into witchcraft or something like that, I could be led by my carnality, right? I could uh, be led by the opinions of the world and I find myself just sort of floating downstream with the world. I'm still a Christian and love Jesus and I'm not going to go maybe as far as the (coughs) world goes into certain things, but I find myself being led by something other, other than the Holy Spirit. We need to make a conscious effort to stay in communion with the Lord in our minds, and in our hearts that we can discern the Lord and we can discern what's not the Lord. And we can make a conscious effort, I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. Today at school. Today at work. Today when I'm watching TV. What I watch on TV. I want to be led by the Holy Ghost. That's the greatest liberty and joy and freedom you'll ever have. The greatest safety that you'll ever have is going to be led Being led by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to bring order, godly order, okay, to your life, to your home, to your family, to your relationship with your children, to uh, to your workplace. Not not that the workplace is all going to be perfect, but your relationship with the workplace, okay, or your relationship with students, other other students in school, or teachers, or authority figures, whatever. He's going to bring an order to your home and to your family. The Lord's going to do that. And He's going to bring an order to our church services. We're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and last week the gifts of the Spirit. And there's an order, okay, that God wants to bring to his services. And into uh, to his church and to his church services. And so uh, let's let's look at this. I want you to turn to First Corinthians chapter 12. Now we we studied this last week but I just wanted to look at verse 1 real quickly. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. There are spiritual gifts. They are not talents. It's not like oh, oh, I have an athletic ability. I can run really fast. I can lift a lot of weight. I can jump really high. I have a good singing voice. Those all might be gifts you could say from the Lord. These gifts could be used in a way, honestly, y'all, they're gifts given by God. They could be used the genuine gift could be misused. It can be misused up to a point. It can be out of order, and so I want us to look at it. We're going to read a lot of the of this chapter, pro- almost the whole chapter. And I don't normally read this much scripture in a sermon, but today we are. We're going to read in probably three seg- segments the whole chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. So you can go on and turn there. It says, "Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy." And we talked about this last week. And then we're gonna—that'll be the end of our review. We're gonna move on. But when it says to desire spiritual gifts, it means to follow after them, to to pursue after them, to go after them. In other words, it's in English. It may sound like a little. Not such a strong word. Desire spiritual gifts. Okay, I want them. But that's not really what the Word is saying. It's saying to press towards. To pursue after. Okay? So it's telling you and me right here to desire spiritual gifts. And if it's not my desire, then I need to be honest with myself and say, Lord, I love You. I'm Your child. I'm reading here in Your Word. It says to desire spiritual gifts. And Lord, when I really examine my heart, I don't desire them the way that I should. That's a good way to be. It's good to be honest with the Lord like that. But then you've got to finish it all the way and say, Lord, Your Word says to desire these gifts and I'm not desiring them the way that I should. Forgive me. I'm either ignorant of it or I was apathetic towards it or indifferent to it. And God, I'm asking You to forgive me, but I'm asking You also to put that hunger in me For your gifts, and it's for the glory of God. It's not about me, and oh, I'm embarrassed, and I don't. It's not about you and me. It's not about our natural personalities. It's about the glory of God and what He's desiring to do. So, if you would just read, uh, well, I'll talk about just a little bit more, but but I want to get back to this for a second. That it's not uh, in, in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we saw it in the church of Corinth just in part. But it's not to be chaos. It's not to be just bouncing off the walls and saying we're free in Christ. We're free in Christ. Just no order. That's not the picture that's given in the Scriptures. The joy, yes. The liberty, yes. But it's not a liberty to uh, to do as you and I will. It's a liberty to walk in the Holy Ghost. It's a liberty to, to live finally in a, in a way that honors God and pleases God, and free from sin and being led by the Holy Spirit. The liberty is not just um, all over the place. This is not a circus. It's not a free for all. Uh, God's called us and He saved us, and He is the head of His church. Right? The head is the one with the authority. We're described in 1 Corinthians 12 as being fingers or hands or feet or eyes or ears or noses. Different parts of the body. But never is an individual believer described as being the head. Because Jesus Christ is the head of His church. And all the life is going to flow from the head. All the direction and the government, so to speak, is going to flow from that head. And it's going to be wonderful. When something's out of balance or out of whack within the body, and once tries to uh, usurp the authority of a place it doesn't have and tries to exercise itself, one member in a place that God hasn't called them to be, to be, it's going to be out of order. can be corrected. God can fix it, okay? But we saw that in the church in Corinth. Some said, I'm a Paul. Well, no, I'm of Apollos, and he was better. And Paul baptized me. Well, Barnabas baptized me. Paul said, You're immature. Grow up. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter who baptized you. You know, in the Lord's Supper, the example we looked at. And so things were out of order. They were still saved, they were still baptized in the Holy Spirit. And Paul says at the beginning of the the epistle, he says, You come behind in no gift. You got all the gifts going on in your church, in your lives, and in the services. You got all the gifts. Every one of them is functioning in your church. But your babes? That wasn't a compliment. He didn't tell them they need to be saved. He told them they need to be disciplined and instructed and and receive the order. right? And so he says, you're babes, you're immature, you're carnal. These weren't compliments, but they weren't lost. They didn't need to hear the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus again and submit to it. They needed to be instructed and be governed by the Holy Ghost and their services to be what they were supposed to be. Let the head be the head. And you fall back under where you're supposed to fall. Alright, so let's read some of this. I want to read 1-25. through And y'all just follow along with me in your Bibles. This is a great way to learn. I know you've read this before, but uh, we're going to study (coughs) it a little bit today. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth them. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaketh mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh unto men, to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself. But he that prophesieth edifies the church. I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church might may receive edifying. Now brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or knowledge or prophesying or by doctrine, and even things without life giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare him to the battle? So likewise, ye, except ye utter by the tongue words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For ye shall speak into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world, and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh as a barbarian, and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. Even so ye, forasmuch as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with my spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of, of the unlearned say amen, of thy giving thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest. For thou verily give us thanks well but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church I'd rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than ten thousand words in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people. And yet for all that will they not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. But prophesying serveth not for them that believeth not, but for them which believe. If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say you're you're mad? But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not or one unlearned, He is convinced of all and is judged of all. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest and and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Alright, I'm going to stop right there. I want to talk about this. The Bible is speaking or comparing the gift of tongues with the gift of prophecy. That's the large portion of what we just read. Alright, 25 verses. And not saying that Pro tongues and you know, or pro prophecy, or anti tongues, or anti prophecy. They're gifts of the spirit mentioned in 1 Corinthians twelve. We studied that last week, but not rather here it's being talked about when you come together, when you're in a church so- service. How are these gifts to be properly uh, manifested and expressed within the corporate body? The Lord does care. He, if He didn't care, He wouldn't have given us this Word. We wouldn't have the rebuking of the church of Corinth. Uh, we're created for God's pleasure, not our own pleasure. The gifts of the Spirit are given for God's glory, not our own. If Sherry had some tremendous gift, gift that God gave, it wouldn't be for her glory. So we would say, isn't Sherry really something? She, she might be really something and wonderful. Praise God. But the point is that it's not given for that. It's given for the glory of God. The Lord devised him as he will. And so there's an order within the church specifically given here about tongues and prophecy. The purpose of both, the proper use of both. Both are of God. If you read that and you, 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 you know follow along, both tongues and prophecy are gifts of the Lord. They're good. They're wonderful. Uh, they're beneficial to all. But we need to know the purpose and the order and the way they're to be used. And let's look back at verse 2. He says, For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understands him. Howbeit in the Spirit he speaks mysteries. But he that prophesieth speaketh not unto men, I mean, speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself, and he that prophesies edifies the church. That's pretty clear, isn't it? That's pretty clear. That's what would just let the Scriptures speak for themselves. And he goes on to say in verse 5, I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied. He says, greater is he that prophesies than he that speaks in tongues. But there's not a period there, except there be an interpretation with the tongues. Then I think it will put them back on equal footing. If we want to talk about greater, you know, what's what's greater? The greater uh, minister, the greater gift of ministry, prophesying or speaking in tongues. The one that speaks in tongues, who does he speak to? We just read it. He speaks unto God. He's speaking unto God. That's what the Bible says. Okay, and he is edifying himself. That's what the scripture said. He edifies. That means to confirm, to build up. It's a base word where we get the word architecture from. Okay, so if I'm speaking in tongues, I'm speaking to God. You don't understand what I'm saying, but it's not for you. Okay, I don't even understand what I'm saying. I'm speaking to the Lord. My understanding, the Bible says is unfruitful because I don't mentally grasp what I'm saying. It doesn't mean that it's sinful or bad, though. It's saying that I'm speaking to God. I am speaking to the Lord. In the Spirit, I'm speaking mysteries, it says. My understanding is unfruitful. If you happen to hear me speaking in tongues without an interpreter... And our interpretation, your understanding would be unfruitful too. It could be the tongue of men and angels, and you don't know it, and I don't know it. But I'm edifying myself. Is that a bad thing? No, it's still a good thing. It's still a good thing. I'm edifying that spirit man's being built up. I'm speaking to God. The Bible says that, uh, and let's just turn there, keep your spot there, and I want you to turn to Romans chapter 8. Verse 26 and 27. Romans 8.26 Likewise the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Um, I, this is not a whole teaching on that passage, but we do see the Holy Spirit... Enables us and helps us to pray when we don't know how to pray as we ought to. It is a working of the Spirit. The Lord, the, the Holy Spirit knows the mind of the Lord, and so forth, because He is the Lord and He prays for us. So, if I'm speaking in tongues, my my understanding is unfruitful, but my that my self is being edified. It is a good thing. He says, "I'd rather you." He goes speak in tongues, but rather. Desire that you prophesy. Greater See that prophesies than he that speaks in an unknown tongue, except there be an, an uh, interpretation. Okay? An interpretation. So when somebody is prophesying, who are they speaking to? They're speaking to men. And it could be a word of doctrine. It could be for comfort. It could be for exhortation. A prophetic word. Liz stands up and she has a prophecy for the church. And everybody... She's speaking to us in English, okay? Praise God, and we hear her, and we understand what she's saying. It's a direct word from the Lord, and it ex- it uh, edifies the church. She speaks to men, and the church is edified. We're all strengthened. We're all built up. And so, it's not one of these is good and one is bad. It's the use, the proper use, how these are to be used within the church service. So the church is edified and the speaker is going to be edified as well. As well, and So I want you to skip down to verses 12 and 13. Even so, ye, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. In verse 12 it says, In the operation of the gifts of the Spirit, Seek to edify the church. That needs to be like a guideline. So we're talking about order. How are these gifts to be used? The first thing, we're going to get into more specifics here, the second half of the chapter. But seek to edify the body. (coughs) Seek to edify the body. That's important. It's not to edify yourself and to show I have this gift and now I can sort of lord it over people. And everybody thinks that I'm really something... Super special. Don't forget, God spoke through a donkey. Okay? So he can give these gifts as he will. God's chosen the weak things and the foolish things to confound the wise. That's his way of doing things that no flesh should glory in his presence. Okay? So if somebody's flesh starts being glorified in our church services, we need to be careful to check it. Okay? whether it's in this pulpit or singing a song, it doesn't mean that people don't have wonderful gifts and they need to use them for God's glory. It's not even wrong if we go up and say, that, that sermon really ministered to me or that Sunday school lesson. Thank you for preparing that. You really have a gift to teach. That's not robbing God's glory. You understand what I mean? The glory still goes to the Lord. But we just have to be careful. And it says, uh, you desire these spiritual gifts, but seek that you may excel, verse 12, to the edifying of the church. And so the one that's given a tongue, here's a parameter. Y'all know what a parameter is? Like a boundary. We're starting to look at some boundaries in our church services. When it comes to tongues, seek that there would be an interpretation for the tongues. You might have this gift of tongues, 1 Corinthians 12. It's one of the gifts. Tongues, and interpretation, a second gift, right after it. But, But there... The tongue is not going to benefit anybody if it, anybody else if it does not have an interpretation with it. doesn't say that it's a sin for you to speak in tongues. It says that if you are going to speak into an unknown, unknown tongue, like loudly, like you're going to stand up, and like somebody was going to give a prophecy, okay? And they stand up and you know it's that time and it's in order, and they give a prophecy. Well, the same thing for tongues. Somebody stands up, they give an interpreter uh, tongue. They're not just praying quietly to themselves in an unknown tongue. They're standing up and it's for the church. Then seek that there be an interpreter. If it's you or if somebody else seek that there'll be an interpreter. We, that, that's God's order. OK, we see order all through the Bible. Cain and Abel. OK, there God told them the way to approach him and what offerings to bring. <coughs> You just don't come any way you want into God's presence. We don't come any way we want into His house the Levitical law and all through the Bible. Life in Christ is no different. There's still an order to the life in Jesus and to in our church services. Now, I want to talk for just a second about the difference between uh, tongues with interpretation, the gifts that are mentioned in chapter 12 and here, okay, and praying in the Spirit. Are what some people call prayer language. Now, do y'all know what I'm talking about? Okay, Uh, you're not going to find the the words prayer language in the Bible. Just like you're not going to find Trinity or rapture. Okay, but I but do believe we clearly see there's a teaching here of praying in the Spirit or praying in an unknown tongue. We're going to read it in just a little while. Okay. That is not the same thing. In other words, every believer that's baptized in the Holy Spirit, you know you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. One of the initial evidences of it, we didn't spend much time at all on this in this study. Uh, One of the initial evidences that a person, a believer, has been baptized in the Holy Ghost is we see in the Bible that they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That person has that ability from the Lord to anytime time they want, I would say, to pray in an unknown tongue in their prayer time. In what I would call a prayer language. Alright? You're not going to find that in the Bible. That is not the same thing as in a corporate service, William stands up and he speaks in an unknown tongue to our body. That's two different things. Both are spiritual. Both are spiritual gifts. But if he's standing up and we're in a quiet moment, he stands up, he has an unction for the Lord. This is for my church. And I want you to say it. That is the gift of the Spirit of tongues. The gift of tongues. And he needs to stand up with boldness, knowing it's the Lord. His heart might be beating really fast and in his flesh he doesn't want to do it, but he stands up and he speaks in an unknown tongue. He doesn't know what he said. It's not in his language. We don't know what He said. It's not in our natural language. God spoke in an unknown tongue. And then Connie here, she's sitting there praying. All of a sudden, the Lord uh, begins to unction. Give her an unction in her spirit. And she stands up and in English gives an interpretation of what He said in this unknown tongue. That is the gift of tongues with interpretation. It's a beautiful thing. It's of God. We've seen perversions. We've seen it used in ways it shouldn't be. Corinthian Church used it, and sometimes in ways it shouldn't be and out of order. But that you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. There is a real gift of tongues and a real interpretation. And it's for the whole body. And me praying in my prayer language, or singing in the spirit, or singing uh, in my back in my bedroom, you know, praying and lifting my hands, and I'm praying. And all of a sudden, I begin to pray and I finished praying everything I can think to pray. And this other language starts coming up out of me. That's in order, though. you understand what I'm saying? That's in order. Where it would be out of order would be if I stood up and just took over the church service and started praying really loud in my prayer language. It's not the gift of tongues with an interpreter. It's just me edifying myself in a prayer language. It's not... Sinful, but it's not in order for the church service. So you see how that could be out of order. Your prayer language is your prayer language. And that's what I'm calling it, okay? Praying in the spirit, where you can pray in an unknown tongue. And so uh, what is it then? Let's look at, uh, let's pick up verse 14. For I will, if I pray, here's Paul if I pray in an unknown tongue. This is not the gift of tongues with an interpreter. He's talking about praying in tongues. If I pray, verse 14, in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth. That's a good thing. But my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding. So the picture given here is there's a prayer that he doesn't understand. His Spirit's praying. But he doesn't understand what he's saying. Okay, I would call that a prayer language. That's what I'm calling it. You can call it, you know, something else if you choose. But Paul is saying there's obviously two different types of prayer and singing. I will sing with the, under, with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. So there's a song he can sing as the Holy Spirit leads him privately. He wouldn't get in a microphone and say we're going to do this in the key of C, and start playing and singing in the Spirit, that's his own hymn in the Lord. His Spirit is praying. His Spirit is singing, but he doesn't understand it. So certainly, you and I wouldn't understand it. So guess what? It's not for the corporate benefit of the whole body. So guess what we do then? We keep that to ourselves. It's not a sin if you overhear me. I'm not going to be embarrassed of it. If we're having our prayer meeting on Sunday night and I'm over here or Chris is over there praying and he's praying softly and I hear him praying in his prayer language, that's not out of order. It's out of order if you would try to take over the service with that and lift it up loud. you understand what I'm saying? To where it would be out of order because it's not going to benefit anybody else. But him praying in a group of people in his prayer language is not out of order; it's just between him and the Lord. Okay. I hope I'm making sense to this. That I believe, I believe from what I've studied, that the praying in an unknown tongue, or a prayer language, we'll call it, is different than the gift of tongues with interpretation, and how they're to be used is different. You can be driving. I know that I've been counseling with people before over the years. And or maybe D and I are counseling with somebody, and in the counseling we've hit like a an impasse. In the in the counseling we've hit something. In the we it's like we don't know what to do next. We don't know what to say next. This person is in desperation, and we've been talking for two hours, and we're like at this impasse. And I'll stop sometimes, and not even out loud where they can hear me. I'll be praying in my prayer language. You understand what I'm saying? And then I've seen the Lord break through and like give me what I needed to give them or give them. Maybe they confessed something that for two hours they never confessed and now it's come out in the open. In other words, like uh, so you can pray in that prayer language (laughs) whenever. That's your prerogative. It's your privilege. It's a gifting that God's given you. But that's not the same as a tongue in a church service with an interpretation of tongues. Don't get them confused. One would be inappropriate. It's not going to edify the church. Remember, one of the guidelines, seek that you may edify the church. So I might hear Katie praying her prayer language, but it's not helping me. I'm not going to tell her to stop. Okay, But if it's in the middle of preaching and I'm preaching the Word of God, which is prophetic and we're all... Receiving it, and she starts speaking really loud in her prayer language, that would be out of order. You don't understand that. Okay, she's not going to do that, but you understand what I'm saying. It's not pointless. Praying in your prayer language is not pointless, it just has to be in the right way, it has to be done in God's way. All right? Um, now I want to keep reading a little bit further. And he says, skip now, we read this, 24 and 25. If all prophesy... And here's more order. It says in there, one, one that comes in who's unlearned, he's judged of all. And he talks about in the previous verses in this verse that the tongues is a sign. Okay? Tongues is a sign. That means an, a, a wonder, an indication, a supernatural token. S- tongues is a sign to the unbeliever like on the day of Pentecost. There were unbelievers out in the the streets of Jerusalem. They were there for the Feast of Pentecost. They had people from different countries all come to Jerusalem because the temple was there and the temple worship was there. And so here are these believers. They speak in unknown tongues, glorifying God. It was a sign. It was a token that God was doing something supernatural. Because so they knew that these people, Peter and John and so forth, didn't speak those languages naturally. So they knew it was something bizarre. It was a sign. It was a token. The sign by itself, though, is not enough to save somebody. And that's why He says, if if an (coughs) unbeliever all of a sudden popped into this church and we were all speaking in unknown tongues, they would think these people are crazy. Right? These people are crazy. It's a sign. It's a token. But it's not the salvation ingredient That's why Peter brought order to that. It was a sign given by God. But he said what the sign was. This is what the prophet Joel spoke about. And he preached Christ to them and they got saved. So just remember, the tongues is a sign to an unbeliever, but tongues is not going to be what saves an unbeliever. It's a sign. It's a token. They know something's up. They know something's not natural. You You know what I'm saying? Uh, and that's just the way it was in the day of Pentecost. Prophesying serves for the church. And so if, if Reynolds stands up and gives a prophecy, it serves for the church. But it's not a sign. It's a it's a, it serves for the church. And so if an unbeliever comes in and we're all prophesying in our natural language and in their natural language, then it says in verses 24 and 25, they're, they're convicted in their hearts. Everybody's prophetically speaking the Word of God. The Word of God brings conviction upon their hearts. And, and they might repent and get saved by that. Tongues is not going to save anybody. It's a sign. It's a token. But then you have to bring in the Gospel or the Word of God uh, to, to reach the unbeliever. Now, he says... Uh, let, let's keep reading. I want to read 26-31. How is it then, brethren? Now here's one of the disorderedly things that was happening in their services. When you come together, everyone, he's, he's asking, "How is it? Every one of you has a song, has a doctrine, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret." But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. Let the prophet speak two or three, and let the other judge. If anything be revealed another that sitteth, if anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let him first hold his peace, for he may for ye may all prophesy one by one, that all may learn, and all may be comforted. You know what he's saying here? He's saying there's an order. You really are saved. You really have the gift of tongues, and it'd be a legitimate gift of tongues. But he said, let it be two or three at the most. That's kind of, it's almost eye opening to think, wait, this is the Spirit moving, and it's a real move of the Spirit. But you're telling people, let it be two or three at the most, and let there be an interpreter for each one of those tongues. And, if there's, and talking about in the corporate service, not your prayer language, talking about a, Jordan stands up and speaks in a tongue, and Ethan's praise, and he stands up and he interprets it. Praise God. The gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation. Even that, even legitimately, those gifts at work, let it be two or three. And if there's not an interpreter, then sit down let's stop with the tongues. And that sounds like, I know people have thought maybe, well, that sounds like you're Almost unspiritual. It almost sounds like you're quenching the spirit. You're putting a number, a limit on the number of tongues and interpretations. You're putting a limit on uh, you know the numbers of prophecies. He said let, let let the prophets prophesy one at a time and let another sit by and judge. Guess what? We're to judge that. Jenny stands up and gives a prophetic word. It may or may not be of God. But my point is that the whole that we are to judge that. Just like you're to judge the sermon that I'm preaching, or the Sunday school lesson that we just heard. We are to judge those things. We're not the judge. We don't sit there like with a gavel and ju- we judge in our hearts is this of God? Does this line up with God's word? Does it line up from Genesis to Revelation with what we know about God? Is this done decently and in order and so forth? So absolutely we're to judge. That's not quenching the spirit. That's not grieving the Spirit. If we've had two or three, and it would be wonderful. Two or three tongues with interpretations. We don't need to have 50. That's what he's saying here. Let it be true. And if there's no interpreter, then stop with the tongues right now. That's what he's saying. That is literally what he's saying here. If that's not quenching the Spirit. That's not grieving the Spirit. That is being biblical. In fact, it's being very Spiritual. It's being very spiritual. Our services are not to be chaos. We're not bouncing off the walls, but we can be so excited we jump up jump up and touch the ceiling. Praise God. But it's still going to be done in in the order of the Holy Spirit. His working. Why do every one of you have a tongue? He said when we come together. Every one of you. I don't know how many people were in the church in Corinth, but let's say there's 500. Every one of you's got a tongue. Everyone's got an interpretation. Everyone's got a psalm and a a doctrine and a prophecy. It's too much. Let it be two or three. Let them interpret. When you're through, sit down. If there's not an interpreter, then that's just saying this is not what the Lord's doing right now. Okay? Same for the prophets. A prophet stands up and gives a prophecy, it's the real gift. Let others judge it. You're listening intently. You're not putting Your brain on autopilot, you're listening to what's being said, and you're judging if it's the Lord or not. Okay, if and it says if there's not an interpreter for the tongues, then let him keep silent in the church, let him just go pray and talk to the Lord. That's okay, it's okay, it's not unspiritual, it's not unbiblical. And I want to keep reading because it, and we're going to be closing with these uh, the last part of this chapter. Read verses. 32 and 33, we're really zooming in on the the order. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So God, we would say maybe, and here's how you can see things misused. Well, the Lord was just really leading me to do that. And everybody else is saying, I don't think the Lord led you to do that. Okay, I'm going to give you a funny story that Clinton didn't before. And uh, he just had a way of making you laugh. Even if He'd never crack a smile. But uh, he was on a mission trip somewhere, some uh, Hispanic country, I don't remember where. And they're traveling down this mountain road, going around steep cliffs and everything. A couple of vehicles following each other wherever they were going to preach. So he's in a vehicle and he's following a pickup truck. And there's a couple of young men, believers, you know, that were traveling with them in the back of the pickup truck. And as they're going, they're going along the road, and he's kind of halfway watching the car in front of him. This guy jumps out of the pickup truck while it's moving, hits the road, you know, rolls around, gets all dirty, and and he didn't seriously get hurt or anything. And the truck stops, put their brakes on, the guy jumps back in, they finish their trip, and Clindina, when they got where they were going, he said, what in the world? Why did you jump out of the truck going down the road? He goes, I, I thought the, the Holy Spirit was leading me to jump out of the truck. He goes, no sooner did I hit the ground than I knew I missed God. Sometimes we'll do things and we'll say, we'll blame it on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gets blamed for a lot of things that are not. We need at least to be Christian enough mature enough to admit it and say, you know, I think I was in my flesh right there. I've done it before. Maybe you've done it before as well. Clinton used to say when 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 all that was going on with the uh, the laughter movement, the Toronto blessing, and that was totally out of order. Okay, it was not scriptural. People, uh, it broke out when the the preacher was preaching a sermon on hell, and it was a sober sermon. It was serious and about the judgment of God coming, and people started laughing uncontrollably. This is the gift of the Spirit. They said, they claimed, this is a blessing. A blessing of the Spirit. And it morphed into, uh, it spread like a movement into other churches. And they would take these individuals from this church and they would go, quote, to impart this blessing on other believers and other churches. It was out of control, it was not of God. Uh, Dean and I, I know I've shared it before, we were in a church service one time 20 years ago, or 20, probably closer to 30 years ago, when we were traveling and singing church over in Gulfport, Mississippi. And they, they were getting ready to have uh, introduce us to come up. And we were going to sing and play and minister. And they were doing a little work, praise and worship. And that's when all this laughter movement was going on. And Dee and I were watching. And there's two people. We're looking at the platform at the singers. And the two of them looked at each other. And this weird look came over their face. And this funny-looking grin that had nothing to do with what was going on in the service. And they were getting ready. You could tell this laughter movement was about to kick off right here in our in our service that we were at. She and I started rebuking it in the back. We're binding the devil, rebuking it because we're getting ready to go up there. We didn't want the service to be that way. We knew God didn't want it to be that way. And it went for a few minutes, and it just it stopped. It never kicked in, so to speak. And the Lord's controlled it, but. The, the the services we have I haven't been at these services but where I've seen the videos and you might have as well people at the altars of Christian churches barking like dogs, uh, one person uh, with a collar around another person like leading them around like a dog, and they're saying this is the movement of the Holy Spirit and you need this in your church. Because this is really what God's doing. People slithering like a snake. People standing on one leg at some bizarre angle that you couldn't naturally hold yourself at on one foot. Demonic stuff, okay? But the Holy Spirit's being blamed for all of it. This is the move of the Holy Ghost, and don't touch God's anointed, and don't quench the Spirit. You know what? I'm judging it. And God's Word's judging it. And Clinton he used to say, he cleared up in one sentence. He would say, Would my Jesus do that? Would my Jesus be on the floor, on all fours, barking like a dog, acting like he's drunk in the spirit, talking in an unknown language, and falling all over, staggering like he's drunk? No, our Lord would not do that. Okay? And so, yes, there's liberty in the Holy Ghost, there's freedom, but it's not chaos. It's not any kind of liberty you want. It's governed. It's a liberty, but it's got restraints. The Holy Ghost, we stay within the confines of the Word of God and within the confines of the Holy Spirit. And so I think that the uh, the Holy Spirit is unduly blamed for a lot of things. Where oh, the Holy Ghost just made me do it. That Scripture... I know we're taking time on this, but this is important. In verse 32 the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Have you ever thought about that? You know what that tells me? If if I'm the individual believer, I'm not not a zombie (coughs) Christian that is out of control. I, yes, I can quench the Spirit, and I shouldn't. I can grieve the Spirit, and I shouldn't. But the Bible tells me here the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That means they're under the, under the authority or rule of the prophets. So if God's leading Michael to, to say something or do something, the individual person can govern it. And oftentimes we should govern it. Just because I have the gift of speaking in tongues doesn't mean every occasion is the occasion to speak in tongues. Just because God has used me to prophesy and I actually have the gift of prophecy doesn't mean every occasion that I just think I'll prophesy right now. And I, you know, or or like I was at a restaurant and the you know and just out of control, the waiter comes by and I just started speaking real loud in tongues and other believers are real uncomfortable in saying, I don't believe that's the Lord. And you say, well, God just led me to. I didn't have any, I didn't have any control over it. You did have control over it. And I'm not saying God would never lead you to do that. I'm simply saying you're not out of control. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So we're not just going around doing something really weird and bizarre. I couldn't help myself. Holy Ghost just made me do it. Then do something else really weird and bizarre. Couldn't help it. Well, I sure don't want to quench the Spirit. The Holy Ghost just made me do that. Holy Ghost didn't make you do that. Especially if it's out of order and not lining up with the Word of God. Now we have to be careful and understand I don't also Holy Ghost might be leading me to witness to that waiter that's been serving my table for the last hour. And I don't feel like it, and I'm embarrassed and I'm shy, and there's a lot of unbelievers around. And they're drinking beers and all kinds of stuff and God may be saying, I want you to tell him that I love him and I sent you know I died for them He might be leading us to do that. So you have to be careful. I'm simply saying that's a good scripture telling us we're not out of control. Holy Ghost made me jump out of that truck. well he said, no sooner I hit the ground I knew I missed God on that one and I want to just keep reading and we're going to read through the end of the chapter, okay? verse 36. What came the word of God out from you, or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. If any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order decently and in an order. Again, this chapter is wonderful. That's why I read every, just about every Scripture in it. Because it's talking about the order. It's not downplaying or discounting the gifts. It's not saying be afraid of them or stay away from them. It's saying here's how they're to be used properly. And when they're used properly, properly, it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And then when it says right here, all things be done decently and in order, that means honorably honestly, comely, in a regular arrangement, in official dignity. And I thought to myself, isn't that the character of our Lord? He's that way. He's honorable. He's comely. He's honest. There's an order to it. There's a dignity to it. And that's the nature of the Lord. And God doesn't want us to be, and we're going to close with this, but God, that, that to me sums it up decently and in order. All things seek that they would edify everybody. Praise God. He says, forbid not speaking in tongues. Okay? Paul said, I praise God that I speak in tongues more than you all. But in the service with other believers like this, he says, I'd rather speak five words in my natural that you might be edified or taught comforted, and everybody in some way than a thousand words in an unknown tongue. All right? So just understand the place, the proper use. It's not for you to turn the prophets turn on those that speak on tongues, and that those that speak on tongues turn against the prophets. Just understand the right way. They're to be used. It's one God, one spirit, one body, and He wants to edify all of us. Let everything be done decently and in order. That's God's way. And I'm going to close with this example. I remember um, this was probably fifteen. Years ago, maybe roughly, that there was this young lady in the church, and she came and she wanted to talk to to us in leadership about about the church and the order of the services. And she said, "I think we're really quenching the spirit. I think we." Uh, and we were like, "Well, how, how so? What do you think our church services should be like?" And she said, "Well, I think we should all sit around in a circle, facing each other." And that uh, nobody should have, have the sermon or the song. We'll just sit and look at each other. And as the Holy Spirit leads, if He leads so and so to stand up and sing, then they'll sing. And if He leads so and so to stand up and share a word or a scripture, they'll do that. And they thought that that, would be so, that was so spiritual. But to me it was not. It was not decently and in an order. God gave gifts to men. He gave pastors and evangelists and prophets and teachers. And and we're come together, even like your giving. It's the first day of the week. Have your giving, your finances ready to give or your tithes and offerings. So that that would seem to her really spiritual. And to a lot of people that aren't mature in the word, honestly, that would sound wow, that would be awesome, man. We'll just the Holy Ghost is just going to move and He's going to lead us all. And we do want the Holy Ghost to move. And we do want the Holy Ghost to lead us all. But that doesn't mean we can't come prepared with a sermon and a, and a Word, you know what I'm saying, or Sunday school and have it at certain times and the music prepared. Uh, I just want to close with this from Smith, Smith Wigglesworth. Never say that when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're obliged to do this or that. When people say they are obliged to do this or that, I know it's not the Spirit of God, but their own <coughs> Spirit, moving them on to do that which is in poor taste and unprofitable. Now, Smith Wigglesworth, guys, he was about one of those Spirit-filled people at work with the, the gifts of the Spirit to work through his life for anybody that I can think of if you read his, his real-life testimonies. And he's saying, don't say that the Holy Ghost just made you do this or that when it's in poor taste. And out of taste, lots of people spoil meetings because they scream. If you want to do that kind of thing, you had better get into into some cellar. That's not the edification. I believe that when the Spirit of God is upon you and moving you to speak as He gives utterance, it will always be the edification. But don't spoil the prayer meeting because you go on when you should stop. Who spoils the prayer meeting? The man who starts in the Spirit and finishes in the flesh. Nothing is more lovely than a prayer, but a prayer meeting is killed if you go on and on in your own spirit when the Spirit of God is through with you. You say as you come from that meeting, that was a lovely message if the preacher had only stopped half an hour before he did. Learn to cease immediately as the unction of the Holy Spirit lifts. Okay? When the the Holy Spirit's through, we need to discern that. We need to discern. We need to be patient with each other. But, it, but honestly, the gifts of the Spirit are nothing that we're to be afraid of, y'all. We just need it to be done decently and in order. We've seen perversions, whether you've personally seen it firsthand or seen a video or heard about it. And so what happens a lot of times, we repel from that so far that we don't want anything to do with the gifts of the Spirit. And that's, that's a shame. And that's a, a lack and we would suffer because of that. Because they're gifts. God gives gifts to people. He wants us and He wants our services. I've that. For our church service to be spirit-filled. Not chaos. Not swinging from that light up there. Bouncing off the walls. But they would be holy and godly. We know the Lord is among us. and I want Him to to have the liberty to move in our midst as the Spirit will. Okay. But the Spirit's going to move according to this. And if it's not in accordance to this, then guess what? It's not the Holy Spirit. Even through the life of a believer, at that moment, it could be in their flesh. It's possible. And so we need to guard that. This has been our our series on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but let's pray. Can we take some time to pray? Pray over one another. Kneel down. Put those pillows down and kneel on them. Walk around, lift your hands, and pray for this church, guys. Pray that this church, I don't want us to be just some stale or not, okay? I want us to be a spirit filled church, not in our doctrine only, but in reality. But I want it to be truly the Holy Spirit filled. And I don't want to be afraid of the gifts of the Spirit in my own life. I'm never given a tongue or an interpretation. I would love the Lord to use me in that way. You understand what I'm saying? You might have. But I just pray that God would put in us, first of all, a desire for spiritual gifts. And we can pray that and ask Him for that. The only one that can properly really affect our hearts and change it, like you were talking about in Sunday school, to make me hate what I used to hate and love what I should love is going to be the Lord. So it's a question of the heart. And we have to sometimes lift up our voice when we don't feel like it and lift up our hands when we don't feel like it and begin to magnify the Lord. Don't worry about what's going on anywhere else. Just take this time and call upon the Lord, the Spirit of the living God. Lord, You give gifts to men. And every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning, God. For the edification and the building up of Your body, God, we desire to be a Spirit-filled church. And that's going to start with individual believers. Let us be Spirit-filled believers, God. Lord, I, uh, I have compassion for those that are praying for the Holy Spirit, the baptism that have not received. I pray, God, that they would receive. By faith, as a little child, just like they received You as their Savior, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And God, would you give us longings to prophesy, that we might edify your church body? Longings, God, to, to speak in an unknown tongue, longings to interpret that unknown tongue. Longings, God, to be used with the gift of healings and miracles and discerning of spirits and wisdom and a word of knowledge, God. That you would give us these gifts, Lord. They're good gifts. And Lord, we want to function and operate those in those in an orderly. Godly way, in a biblical way. Lord, we need you, Father. We can't just decide one day to have the gifts of the Spirit. Lord, we, we need you to bestow those upon us, on us, to endue us with that gifting and those powers and those gifts that you have for us, God. We praise your holy name, God. Help us to pray in the Spirit and with our understanding. Help us to sing with the Spirit and with our understanding, God. Just begin to call upon the Lord. Stir yourself up. Find a place and get with God for a few minutes. Lift your hands and say, God, I'm desperate for You. I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Please bestow this gift upon me, God. It's for Your children. Or maybe You say I'm baptized, but I haven't been filled in months or years. I want to be filled and know that I'm filled. I want a new prayer language that I can pray and call out and edify myself and speak to God in an unknown tongue. Ask Him for that. and Begin to call upon You can't worry about somebody else around you and they hear you. You and I have to lift up our voices to God and meet with God. In Jesus' name.